You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Konstantin Weitz. I'm Chen Chen Huo, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. I see it all the time on personal finance Facebook groups and money forums. Where can I get the best interest rate on a savings account? The answers vary on our country's current economics. Sometimes the number even gets up into the 4% range. It's a tricky problem. We all know that over long periods of time, the equities markets have the best returns. But you see, time is the key ingredient. It pains us to see sometimes thousands of dollars sitting in low-yielding accounts because we have liquidity fears. We might need that money in the next few months or years. Better not put it in the stock market. It's a common problem, a common regret, yet... My guests today say that they have a solution. They call it Nexus. Constantine Weitz is the CEO, investment advisor, representative, and chief compliance officer at Nexus, a startup that strives to build a banking and investment product that has the financial and future well-being of their users in mind. Chen Chen Huo began his career as a management consultant and then started a restaurant chain aimed specifically at the growing trend of food delivery. After selling the business, he joined the Nexus team because he wholeheartedly believes in the mission and the product. Constantine and Chen Chen, welcome to Earn and Invest. Constantine, lay it out for me. How did you get into the fintech space in the first place? Let me tell you a bit of my background. Before I started this journey, I um, was working at Google and was doing software development there. And, you know, as like a lot of people in the in the bio community probably know, right, like uh, these software jobs give you a bit of returns, right? So you, so actually, after four years at Google, I felt like I had a bit of, you know, savings. So I could start living a life where I'm more focused on the things I actually want to do. And you know, the like big corporate structure at Google wasn't really it. My friend Stefan at the company and I, we were like, look, can we do something for ourselves? Can we do something where we get more joy of our work? And so we actually were thinking, you know, what are some problems that we have? And, you know, back at the days, there was 0% interest, basically, even if you went to the like best savings account ever, right? And we were like, man, it really sucks, right? Like, all our money is invested in the stock market. We love our, you know, Vanguard index funds, right? Um, 
we really truly believe in like Bogle's message and you know like modern portfolio theory. And then we also have this bank account that has like no returns whatsoever, right? And it's like a significant chunk of money sometimes. And so we were like, well, what's stopping us from having the liquidity of a checking account with the returns of an investment account? And to be completely frank, we didn't have a formal financial background at the time. So we started looking into this. We were like, all right, what does it take to create, you know, a bank? What does it take to like become an investment advisor? And we were like reading books and stuff. And like, it was fun times. And yeah, eventually we figured it out. There's a way to do this. We actually started talking to some investors. They said, you know, this is an insane thing. That's, you know, <laughs> um, you you need to actually build a product to, to you know, like build this. Uh, you know, we can talk about this too. <laughs> but um, we figured it out and we, we started a company. We eventually got investors. And um, now we have a product that's live and, and doing well. Chen Chen, if this was out of Constantine's wheelhouse, tell me how the idea of a fintech startup fit into your background at the time you were running a startup restaurant chain that was focused on delivery. How did you end up here? Oh my gosh. So yes, if this was out of Constantine and Stefan's wheelhouse, this was absolutely out of my wheelhouse as well. I think I honestly ended up here because of happenstance. So a little bit of history. I uh, went through an accelerator program here in Silicon Valley called Y Combinator, you know, the birthplace of a lot of great startups. And um, through that network, I had I was just coming off of my job at the time, had sold the company off and was thinking about the next thing to do. And Y Combinator puts on essentially a startup founder matching network. And it's it's modern dating, but for startup founders. <laughs> and um, through that process, met a ton of cool people. And um, Stefan and Constantine happened to be two of them. Um, so we're meeting with 20, 30 people. And for some reason, after you know listening to Constantine and Stefan pitch, it just it just kept sticking with me. I think, you know, I, my partner is also in fintech. And after my first few conversations with them, I sort of sat back, sat back at the dinner table and was like, whoa, this is really cool. And if done right and if done well, this has the potential to change the world because banking as we know it has a ton of problems. So I think it was just that the gravitas that Stefan and Constantine brought and um, no lack of ego and then just the, 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 the desire to be good faith actors just drew me to the team. So um, also not too much financial formal training, but I think it was you know just wanting to be able to learn about the industry wanting to be able to learn about the product and make it better was um, a huge desire after meeting the two of them. And yeah, I almost a year later, here we are, I think, building this product together and continuing to make it better and continuing to add value into the lives of everyday people. All right, Constantine, let's break it down then. Specifically, what is Nexus and what was it built to do? Really, on a high level, if you look at our banking system as it is, it's just fundamentally broken. In good times, banks invest your money and take most of the profits, right? And then in bad times, as you see with, you know, SVB and all these other banks, you now have the government bail them out, right? And now you're paying them even extra as, as taxpayers. So we really feel like this is ready for, you know, change. And 
we think it's both better for society and actually for the individuals using our product. Banks, traditionally, they take your money and they invest it, right, for themselves, basically. And with us, you put your deposits in the account and then it's invested for you and the investments are in your name and you get the full return potential on them. And I mean, very concretely, you know, if you open an access account, it's just a normal, it feels just like a normal bank account. You have the full liquidity, you can deposit your paycheck, you have a debit card and so on. But you can also invest your full balance and give it the returns that you need. And, you know, you can choose the sort of risk level that you're comfortable with and the sort of investments that you're comfortable with. So Chen Chen, I have to push you here because Constantine brought up SVB, right? Silicon Valley Bank. There was literally a run on the bank. That's a liquidity issue. And I feel like we're talking about liquidity today. If we're going to say the banks get to do this thing, which we don't get to do, right? They get to take the funds, put them in high return equities, make a lot of money. But yet when we put our money in the bank, we don't get nearly as high returns. If SVB couldn't quite handle the liquidity issue, why should your average person be able to handle it better? Like, why as we as individuals, will we not run up against the same problem that SVB ran up against the liquidity issue of all of a sudden they needed the money and it was tied up in a place where they they would take huge losses if they took it out? Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good question. And I think the biggest answer to that is SVB had, you know, so many customers that were running into like a bank run is possible because all of a sudden every single person or the majority of SVB decided that they wanted their money back. I think for individuals, you know exactly for the most part, there are there are you aren't you aren't at the behest of a ton of other folks. Um with proper planning, you know how much money you need. And if you have the appropriate amount put away for emergency funds or um, to deal with unforeseen events, the chances of a bank run on your personal finances are, are relatively lower. So I think you have the ability to properly plan out your financials and therefore um, be a bit more protected from market fluctuations and then take full advantage of the yields. Yeah, relating it back to SVB, I think it's unfortunate that you know they weren't able to, at the time meet the liquidity demands of their customers. I think us as everyday people won't won't necessarily run into this. Although I have to say Constantine does have four kids. So there may be a few times. <laughs> there may be some liquidity be... issues. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> let, let me first address, I think, or question your assumption here a little bit. I actually think SVB has more than liquidity issues, right? So the fundamental thing that banks do is that they loan money out, people like us, right? When we have a mortgage. Two years ago, it wasn't, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I'm still renting, but getting a mortgage for like 3% was not unheard of. If you're like a bank that say, actually needs to like pay people like now four to 5% interest on their high yield savings account, you are now literally losing 2% on these loans every month or every year for potentially 30 years. It's not just that people are running to the bank and, you know, like the problem is that they need liquidity. The problem is also banks have literally lost money, right? There's literally a hole here. And if everyone actually rightfully moved their money out of their Wells Fargo savings account, where they get like 0.03% interest, 
and moved it in a high yield savings account, banks would be screwed. And, and not just because they're liquid, but because they made bad investments and have losses that they can't cover. Okay, so th that's the first part. And then I also want to talk a bit to liquidity with Nexus. The way a bank works is they loan out your money for a long period of time, say 30 years, right? And they give a, keep a little bit of cash in reserve. So when people come and go in their normal stream of daily life, they can give the money out. But if everyone comes, they just really can't do it, right? Because the money is loaned out for 30 years. With our product, it's actually fundamentally completely different. If all our customers came tomorrow and were like, hey, I want my investments, we're like, sure, right? Like we sell them on the market, we give you the cash. Banks provide liquidity by basically having a little bit of cash and hoping not everyone will withdraw. We provide liquidity by having a secondary market where we can potentially sell every securities. And you know, you might rightfully say, what if literally everyone wants to sell all the securities at the same time? I think the nice thing is then the price would dip a little bit, right, of the securities, and it would actually discourage a bank run, right? Because people who now want to keep their money in the bank, right? They have an incentive to do so. Constantine, I want to go a step further because in some senses, like you said, you're not worried about Nexus's liquidity, right? Because basically people own their equities that their money has been invested in and they can always be liquidated and given the cash. But we also know that people are really good long-term investors, right? You know, you can take your money, put it for 10 or 20 years in an S&P 500 index. You are going to do well. What people aren't as good at is short-term investing, putting their money in for short-term and then withdrawing it as needed. I guess that becomes the question is, is the lack of liquidity for investing sometimes a good thing? Because we're really bad generally at individuals is being able to time the market correctly such that when we need that money, it's available and we actually maintain the important gains that we tend to get from more long-term investing. I mean, is lack of liquidity a bad thing in investments for the individual? Yeah, let me let me maybe say that. I think it's responded. I think you know, fundamentally, I'm like a big, you know, bogleheads, efficient market, whatnot believer, right? And I think one one strong idea here is that the market is efficient and that you shouldn't time the market, right? So I actually think this idea of don't take out your money out of your investments because they're down right now, I think that's not a good idea, right? Like, I think if you need cash, and like, I'm in this position right now. You know, I sometimes now running my startup, I sometimes don't make enough money on a day to day basis to like fund my trip to Europe. But I sell securities to fund that trip to Europe. So I think you should never sell securities because you're like, oh, you know, the market's going to go down. I want to sell it. Right. Or buy securities because you think it's going to go up. Right. But if you need money. Right. I actually think it's a great Great idea to, you know, sell some of your your securities, right? And and use that cash. Uh, Jordan, I wanted to address a little bit of the, you know, let's keep some cash available for liquidity. I think for the individual person, that some cash um, you know, isn't isn't a ton. But added together, I think like the number is there's over 17 trillion dollars sitting in American bank deposits right now. And the average rate that people at banks are paying on that is 0.35%. So $17 trillion, 
And that that's I think fifty billion dollars what Americans are yielding from their seventeen trillion dollars in bank deposits. If that was sitting in, let's say, a treasury fund um, that's paying you know thirty day sec yield of over four point five percent, that's seven hundred billion dollars, so twelve x. So I think like for the average person, you know, the amount of cash that you have in a checking account isn't a ton, but accumulated over everyone's bank deposits, it's a lot of money. So yes, it does make sense to keep cash if this is stuff that you need immediately. I think with Nexus and with our product too, we can say, look, with the right education and knowing that um, there are buckets and there are securities that are lower risk, this could also be you know, sitting in a treasury fund where it's not as subject to market fluctuations. It's protected by the full faith and credit of the US government, but still earning returns. And we want to encourage people to do that. I think banks are in the business of optimizing the amount of money that's in their checking accounts. And um, we allow folks to realize that that money can also be put to work for them, albeit in a safer in a safer place as well. I think it's really important to look at your money holistically. If you're a person that only has like $10,000 to their name, you just cannot take risk with that money. You're going to have to pay your rent. But if you're a person that has 10000 in their checking account and 90000 in their investment account, your net worth is going to go up and down, mostly with the stock market, right? That you have these 10% sitting there completely safe is not doing anything for your liquidity. So I think the thesis here with, with Nexus is that you really should look at your money holistically. And if you have, yes, it probably means you should keep more in Nexus than you would in a normal checking account, at least if you invest in stock. Obviously, we also have very safe options, right? But if you invest in stock, right, you should probably keep at least double the amount of money that you would you, you have in a normal checking account. So you know, if the S&P 500 drops by 50%, which I think historically has been around the max, you, you can handle that. And then the nice things, right, when you see that holistically, that just now means that this extra cash can also give you the higher expected long-term returns that you have from investing in securities other than, you know, the, the very safe things you can do with banks. So Chen Chen, I want to move from philosophical to specific here. Let's talk about the process. So let's say that I have $20,000. I want to put it into a bank account. I'm not happy with the yields I've been getting. I have investments in other places, long-term investments, et cetera. I go and I plunk that $20,000 into Nexus. What happens next? What's the process? So you plucked that $20,000 into Nexus. Well, first you onboard. And during onboarding, we ask you, you know, what what your risk profile is, where you want your portfolio, what do you want your portfolio to look like? So, you know, you answer a few questions. We suggest a portfolio for you. You either, you either say, "Hey, this is great," or you can go in and and manually adjust and really specifically pick out where you want your funds to be. Um, that's a really big core tenant here with us, which is, you know, our user always has the final say. Of what products they're invested in. So uh, we suggest a portfolio. And if you say, yes, that's great, we move on. And when you plunk your $20,000 into your Nexus account, we automatically buy securities according to your risk preferences or the portfolio that you uh, that you chose. And now you're in the market. Now that money is working for you and, and earning potential returns. Um, when you go and let's say, you know, 
swipe your debit card somewhere or uh, you know make a credit card payment. What we do is, you know, when markets are open, we immediately sell securities that match that credit card payment and cover that. When markets are closed, uh, we actually give you a free cash advance and then sell the securities in the background um, when markets reopen to cover that transaction. So on the customer side, it we often feel like a checking account. You can withdraw money at the ATM whenever you want. You can make a payment any anytime you want. Um, but what we actually do, which is really cool, is manage the piping and make sure that you know transactions from the brokerage side matches um, the transactions that you're doing on um, on the customer facing side. So it's really cool. We get to keep the entirety of your balance invested and earning returns for you, even though uh, we're acting as a checking account. And Jen Jen, when we are using a brokerage, especially a traditional brokerage, maybe not as much with some of these newer e-brokerages, but with the traditional brokerages, every time you had a transaction, there may be a fee involved. What you're talking about is maybe many, many transactions, right? I'm going to go to the gas station. I might use my debit card. I may get a Diet Coke from the from the supermarket. So you're talking about lots and lots of transactions. Are there any fees associated with that? Uh, there are no there are no fees. There are no minimum transaction fees. Um, there are, and I think this is also one of the the benefits of modern day brokerages is we remove that aspect of it. So you can, you know, feel free to transact as often as you need, as often as you like. And then just to even go forward to a, a frequently asked question that we get is, you know, what does this look like at the end of the year with regards to my taxes? You know, we probably have have received a little some return based off of these investments. Um, we've made a bunch of transactions over the course of this year. What happens with regards to taxes? And we've solved that as well. And by we, I mean Constantine and Stefan. They're the, the computer science PhDs, the engineering muscle behind Nexus. But um, we send you a unified tax bill um, for your tax season. So all of the math is already calculated for you. There's literally one line item you need to enter into your tax process about the returns um, that you made that year. So uh, that's another frequently asked question for us with regards to the number of transactions that go on. But yeah, in summary, no, no, no minimum transactions, no fees on the brokerage side, and uh, taxes are made pretty easy from from the the team here. So, Constantine, tell me about the actual investment options. You guys have suggested portfolios, but then it sounds like you also have a suite of different equities and things that people can invest in. Tell us what that looks like to a new customer who's just getting plugged in. So we're a registered investment advisor. So it's actually very similar to to other robo-advisors you might have used, like Wealthfront and so on. Right. So basically... You answer a couple of questions and then we make a recommendation for you, but then you can also customize it. And basically our portfolios are very standard, um, you know, the kind of things that people in this community would appreciate. So we have a lot of Vanguard funds, you know, Um, I think we're also trying to push people to do the right thing, right? Like lots of broadly diversified index funds, right, globally or in the US and, you know, broadly diversified bond funds. And then, of course, we also have treasury products where, you know, basically you can put your money um, in a relatively safe uh, investment as well. And although, Constantine, we talked about this idea that there are no transactional fees, 
people still have to pay the fund fees, right? So if you put your money in an ETF or if you put your money um, in a fund that has a fee, you still have to pay those fees, correct? Yes, that's absolutely right, right? So if you put your money in, say, uh, VT, which is, you know, Vanguard's worldwide uh, stock ETF, you have to pay the fee, um, which I don't know what it is right now. Maybe you know, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's fairly small. It's 0.0 something percent. But yes, you have to definitely pay that fee. We are talking to Constantine Weitz and Chen Chen Huo, and we are discussing their startup nexus and this idea of can we get higher rates of return on our checking and savings account? We are going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, service key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. 
Let me reintroduce you. We're talking to Constantine Weitz, who is the CEO, investment advisor, representative, and chief compliance officer at Nexus, a startup that strives to build a banking and investment product that has the financial and future well-being of their users in mind. And Chen Chen Huo began his career as a management consultant and then started a restaurant chain aimed specifically at growing the trend of food delivery. After selling that business, he joined the Nexus team because he wholeheartedly believes in the mission and the product. Chen Chen, let's talk about people who are interested in Nexus, but really maybe very conservative in their investments. Tell me about some of the low-risk investments that are available. Specifically, you know, we can put our money into all sorts of high return savings accounts, right? So sometimes you can get even up to three, 3.5%. What does Nexus have available that's pretty low risk, uh, but still does better than your typical checking account? Yeah, great question. And I think this is one that resonates very highly with me. So um, I am traditionally a pretty risk adverse investor as well. I like seeing numbers go up. Um, I'm not as you know concerned about the speed at which they go up, but over time, I like seeing numbers go up. When I was joining the team about half a year ago now, I think that was one of my first questions. It was, look, I'm a risk-averse person. I just want to get a return. There are high-yield savings options out there. Why is this better? And then, you know, after doing a bit more research and looking at the products that you know are on the Nexus platform here as a customer at the time. Realizing, especially during high interest rate environments, there are products, specifically U.S. Treasuries, that give that currently give higher returns than most, if not all, high yield savings accounts. So, one that we specifically offer that comes to mind, there is a a fund with the symbol SHV. It is a BlackRock fund that invests in short term Treasuries, and it's currently paying a forty day a thirty day sec yield of four point six percent. With with the news, Apple, I think, just came out with a high-yield savings account of 4.1%. So this is a product that you know isn't zero risk, but it is backed by the full faith and credit of the US government. And it is expected to yield, you know, similar to 4.6% throughout, especially during high interest rate environments, and you know, lowish likelihood that. Um, money that's being put into this fund would dip. So this is a really good option. A, a, a big chunk of my portfolio is an is an SHV because I know that it's going to be a slower rate of return than let's say something with VT, but not subject to the same market fluctuations as um, as total stock market funds. So this I think is always a suggestion for me um, for folks that ask, "Hey, I'm a a little bit more risk averse. What are the options available that still put my money to work for me?" Constantine, I'm wondering, you now have been up on Nexus for quite a while. What type of asset allocations are you seeing the typical Nexus investor slash user? Do they tend to be more high risk or low risk, or does it really run the gauntlet? So I think, you know, let, let's put high risk in perspective. I think we have no no no, no one's gambling on, on crypto or something on our platform. <laughs> The, the highest risk people we see are people who invest in something like the S&P 500. You know, they are on the, I wouldn't say they're super rich, right? But they have enough money that they already did investing before they joined Nexus, but they just had a separate investing and checking account. And now that they're in Nexus, they're kind of combining the things, right? Seeing their cash holistically 
and making returns on all of it. And so those are the kind of people, including me, who then are in something like the S&P 500. And then, yeah, we also see other people on the spectrum. We see people who are less affluent, who want to take a little bit less risk. I think we also see people who have a lot of money, but just aren't completely you know, sold yet. They, they don't have the confidence yet to say, all right, I'm all in, right? Like all my money is in the S&P 500. And so we also see people who probably could be in the S&P 500, but they're choosing to take a little bit less risk with some of their money, right? And that's also something you can totally do with, with our platform. I just wanted to emphasize one point that Constantine mentioned, uh, specifically about crypto. I think this is a, a very by design decision where we don't currently allow our users to invest in individual stocks and also no crypto. And I think the idea here is we want folks to participate in healthy, long-term diversified investing, um, the Bogleheads approach, the modern portfolio theory approach. We think you know, the world would be in a better financial place if everyone discovered from a financial literacy perspective, the benefits of diversified investing. So all the funds and all the options that are on Nexus right now are diversified funds because you know these have been time tested. So when we're talking about risk, I would say the highest risk product on our and in 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 our offering would be you know VT, the total stock market fund, and even that I think is time tested as well. If you track the performance and historicals of VT, sure there are years where it dips, but you know, since inception on average, it's still been returning north of 9% a year. So I think that's something we do want to drill home with our users, which is, look, if you're looking to become a day trader, or if you're looking to, uh, you know, invest in buy and sell individual stocks, there are other products out there. But if you're looking to build wealth over time and make your money work for you and fully optimize your cash, the Nexus is a great place for you to be. And that's you know a core tenant of what we do here. So Constantine, I see Nexus really as a hybrid between a robo-advisor and a bank. Tell me, is there anything that Nexus doesn't offer that traditional banks do? I mean, the biggest is probably a brick and mortar store, right? Like, so there, there's no physical location that you can go to. That said, you know, we're, of course, partnering with, you know, ATM networks and so on. So, you know, you can withdraw your money. Yeah, I would probably say that's the biggest. Other than that, we try to, you know, as faithfully replicate all the features of a normal bank account. And and to be fair, we actually are partnering with a real bank account, uh, with a real bank called Evolve Bank and Trust. And you do, under underneath all the, you know, magic, there is an actual real checking account, um, you know, with a routing number, with an account number, with an associated debit card, with all the good stuff that that bank offers us. So you really get all the banking features. It's just we have good logic to sweep that money over into a brokerage account. And we have good logic to give you liquidity when you want to withdraw the money. Chen Chen, what about things like governmental protection, right? So you go to a traditional brick and mortar bank, um, you know that you have some backing through the FDIC. There's some things that actually protect you and your funds. Do you guys have these same protections? We do. So any cash that you kept with Nexus 
is FDIC insured. So as you're allocating your portfolio when you onboard, you also have the option to keep a portion of that portfolio in cash. We're currently paying 2.5% uh, APY on that cash as well. So anything that you say, hey, you know, let's open a Nexus account, but let's keep this portion of it not invested in securities, that's under FDIC insurance, and we're paying 2.5% APY on that. Anything that is invested uh, through our brokerage or with you know, with with your securities, uh, we have SIPC or SIPC insurance, and it's a, it's a fancy thing that basically says that we are good faith actors and we can't run away with your money. It's not going. It's not protected against any you know losses that you might incur or that your securities may incur. But it's still insurance that says, look, if you know if we default or something about Nexus fundamentally fails, your your securities are safe. So yes, in short, we do have you know the protections as required, and then some for a financial product like ours. And Jen, one last question: I found that when I open a new bank account, I end up paying all these fees I never expected to pay. Right? So there's the cost of checks. There's the another big one that I've gotten, especially if I've had a business account at some places, is there's a minimum balance, and that's changed even over the years. So like all of a sudden. I'm finding these charges because I dipped under the minimum balance for one month or what have you, et cetera. Do you guys have any of those type of fees built into your structure? No. And I'll elaborate on that. The longer answer is, this is also part of the reason why when I joined the team, I was so compelled by Constantina Stefan. My biggest takeaway from my first conversation with them was that they were on a mission to build the most customer-friendly checking account or bank product possible, making returns flow into the pockets of traditional people, removing fees associated, you know, like overdraft fees and minimum balance fees and, you know, maximum transactions, the amount of money that you can, you know, move back and forth. They, these folks wanted to remove all of that. And I think we see it today, right? Like, even 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 things like we reimburse every ATM that you ever use with Nexus. So it's it's you know I could I actually when when I was in Europe uh, over the New Year's withdrew money from an ATM in Portugal and it was you know admittedly a little bit later at night and you know still Nexus re- takes care of that and yeah I mean the the short answer again is no we don't have these fees because we want this to, uh, we want this product to be as beneficial and as value-add uh, to our customers as possible. Constantine, wrapping up, you were an outsider to the banking industry when you developed Nexus. Tell me about what has surprised you or been unexpected about the banking industry that you only learned after going through this process. Um, yeah, very good question. I mean, one thing that's been very interesting has just been the rampant amount of fraud in the banking industry. When we launched our app on the App Store, within minutes, we just had users sign up that were just fake, but using like real driver's license pictures, right? And like real, they are just criminal organizations that like scan, you know, the like app stores for banking apps. And just the second they're out there, they start signing up. You know, obviously we have protections built in for that sort of stuff. Like um, when, you know, you sign up, we do something called a KYC check. So it's called uh, know your customer. You know, we verify that your social security is actually associated with your account and there hasn't been fraud in the past. But yeah, it it just 
still surprised me just how proficient and you know like efficient the market of fraud is in the banking industry. And Chen Chen, this all sounds great. And I'm hearing all these great things you're offering to your customers. How the heck does Nexus make money? Yeah. So two ways. One, and and, and I'll say and I'll start this by saying both ways aren't customer facing. So one on interchange. Interchange is essentially every time you know you docs swipe your Nexus debit card at let's say a convenience store down the street or when you're buying groceries. The the card network that we use, MasterCard, and ourselves charges the vendor a small percentage of money, usually, you know, between one to one to a few percent. And we capture a little bit of that. So on on the interchange side, anytime someone uses their debit card, we capture a bit of that as um as a as a fee. And then on the brokerage side as well, there's something called the spread. So when you buy or sell securities, the price that you see, and this is true regardless of whichever brokerage that you go through, isn't necessarily you know the exact specific price that the brokerage is getting. So let's say you buy a share of VT at 110 bucks. You might see $110, but we we might actually buy it at 109.999 cents. So we capture a very, very small percentage of that as spread as well. And those would be the two ways that we would be monetizing off of this. I think one thing also to say is, you know, when you think about it, a bank is not really doing a lot of stuff, right? They're running a database and they're like moving entries in that thing around to like move money around. So like inherently, it's not like all that expensive of a business to run. And so, you know, like I think with a lot of traditional banks, the reason you pay so much through, you know, them not giving you returns on your deposits and other ways like fees and so on, it's just they're like, you know, old companies that have been set up for a while that have, you know, large corporate structures that need to be paid that have offices that have like stores everywhere, right? So I think just having a different structure allows us to run much leaner than your traditional bank. And Constantine, Constantine, let's turn the conversation around a little bit. This was, I believe, your first major venture, your first startup. Talk to us about how you funded Nexus, because that's something that a lot of people are out there saying, hey, I'm kind of interested in this. I might have a background. Startups are interested in something interesting to me. But how do you come up with the money in the first place to get something like this going? Yeah, that's that's an excellent question. I mean, and that's exactly the question that we ask ourselves, too. I like so when you especially when you're in the like banking industry and so on, right, like starting a bank is not cheap or like even collaborating with a bank is not cheap. They often need you to have like a million dollars or something in your account before you can start that. So actually, when we started Nexus, we were in exactly this 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 chicken egg thing. How can we get enough customers, enough traction to like show that there is like a product that people love so that we can get investors without having the money to do it, right? And this is where you have to be creative. So what we actually did is, if you're familiar with, there's a product called Plaid, where you probably see that a lot when you like um, sign into your bank, right? And you want to move money from another account or something. And what they do is they take your username and password and log into your bank account and kind of scrape the things there and look at things, right? And so 
you know, how much it shames me to say that in a sense. This is how we started. We basically, you know, were building on people's existing bank accounts to some extent. And that allowed us to, you know, not have a great product, but it allowed us to get started and like show that even with this really crappy initial version, people were still excited about the idea. And I think that's really what sold investors. They were like, all right, cool. This is a cool team. They're having a good idea and they're actually having some initial traction. And then we raised the money to like build the real thing, right? And get registered with the SEC and, you know, now have real bank partners and so on. So, you know, we're totally legit now. But I think sometimes you want to just see a little bit, sometimes in the beginning, it just need to be a little creative. How can I get to, you know, how can I show real traction without building out the real thing that might cost like a couple million dollars to do? Well, Constantine Weitz and Chen Chen Huo, I wanted to thank you for coming on today. You know, there's always been this tension, this idea that we need to have separate buckets. There's our investing bucket and then our savings and short-term need bucket. And often we've been told that those buckets can't mix. On the other hand, we are always searching for a way to utilize that money that's sitting in our savings and checking account, that money that is is diminishing every year by inflation, and we're always trying to get slightly better returns. You both are the first people I've really talked to who have suggested mixing those up, but done so in a way that actually sounds not only intelligent, but pretty safe. And so I'm glad you came on today to talk about Nexus. I want to end this episode the way and every episode. First, Constantine, tell us what is up next with Nexus, what we are expecting to see in the future. High level, right? We are on this mission to make banking better. And I think right now it's just spreading the word, right? Like, I think we have a pretty good product at this point. So I think just spreading the word, right? Really telling people about it. And then, you know, maybe another thing that, we've just um, learned from talking to some of our customers is that we're also considering expanding into like the business sector where, you know, you can have business bank accounts because a lot of businesses have this problem too. They have so much cash sitting around doing nothing. And it's not necessarily even FDIC insured, right? Because you're very easily over the $500,000 limit. Um, So that's also something we're considering right now. And Chen Chen, if people want to learn more about Nexus or ask you guys questions specifically, what is the best way for them to reach you? Sure. So you can find Nexus at our website, nexushq.com. Uh, we're on both the Google Play and App Stores. And honestly, the best way to reach us, um, you know, find our, our email address, or if you'd like, we can send over our calendar links as well, just to have an in-person chat. I think this is one of the the most favorite things I've done since joining the team, which is talking to our customers. We love when people tell us, hey, this is an awesome product. You know what would make it better? This. And then we go out and we build that. So we love chatting with folks. We love talking to people about what they need from a baking product. And then beyond that, we love building out that need and making that a reality. So um, open to open to these conversations at any time. Well, Constantine and Chen Chen, thank you so much for coming on today to talk about Nexus. Thank you for introducing us to this concept. Thanks, Doc. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. I really, really like this conversation. 
That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. I've been thinking a lot lately about happiness. Like, what is the point of making all this money if we can't use it in service of doing things that we feel good about, that make us feel good inside? I started thinking back to my childhood and what were some of my most happy, exciting moments. And you know what I remember? I remember baseball cards in cellophane wraps. It was probably the early to mid-1980s. And Vince Coleman was a rookie. He played for the St. Louis Cardinals. He was really known for his stealing of bases. It was the hot baseball card to find that year. And somehow we figured out that the companies that made baseball cards, I think the big ones were Topps, Donruss, and Fleer at that time. And machines printed the cards and then wrapped them in their cellophane cases such that you could see the top card in the pack. So if you went, you could see all the packs of baseball cards when you were at the store. You could flip through them, see what player was on top, and then buy the pack accordingly. We all wanted to get as many Vince Coleman cards as possible because we thought they were going to be valuable because he was going to be the rookie of the year and he was a really good baseball player. And we realized that since a machine did the sorting and the wrapping, that they always put the cards in the same order. So if you happen to buy enough packs that you got a Vince Coleman card and you didn't disrupt the order of the pack and the Vince Coleman was towards the end of the pack, you could write down the names of all the baseball card players that came before the Vince Coleman card. If you wrote those down, you could then take that list with you to all the stores, search through all their cellophane packs and buy the ones that had the names on your list, and then you knew that there was going to be a Vince Coleman in that pack. These were some of the happiest times of my life, running from dime store to dime store, buying baseball cards, and then later I would take all those packs of baseball cards and I would sit in my TV room with the Cubs game on, open them all up, sort through them, collate them, put them in order. If you remember back in the day, and I think it's still like this, baseball cards were all numbered. So it was like 1 through 800 for every player that was playing in the major leagues at the time. And there were some team cards and other things. And we would try to collect every card in the set for whatever company, whether it was Topps or Donruss. And I would sit there in the TV room and collate these cards and watch the baseball game. And those were some of the best, most joyous moments of my life. Well, just as you guessed it, I got older. I stopped collecting baseball cards. I stopped watching baseball on TV, almost all sports, in fact. And I got busy doing what most teenagers, college students, and eventually young adults do. I started building my life. I started working on becoming a doctor and building up my profession and going to good universities and getting good jobs, all these things took over. And interestingly enough, while they brought me a longer, more durable joy in some terms, they never quite replicated the feeling of opening up that baseball card pack, throwing the cellophane on the floor, looking at all the different players, taking the piece of gum that was inevitably in the middle, 
and it was hard and rocky and old and putting it in my mouth and chewing on it as I was sorting through these cards. Nothing in adult life replicated that same type of joy. And I've come back to thinking about this now where I'm in my career where I don't have to work and I don't have to worry about money. I realize I can spend a lot of time thinking about investments. I can think about things like Nexus, this app we talked about on today's show and how I can get a better return on my money, etc. But lately, I've really wanted to figure out how to get a better return on my happiness, a better return on my joy. And one way to do that is to go back to those things in childhood that you did without even thinking about them, but they were what you woke up every morning for. For me, it was collecting things. At one point, it was baseball cards. Another time, it was stamps or coins. I love to collect things. I love the hunt. I love the way my eyes light up when I see that rare baseball card or that rare coin. These are things that I covet. These are things that bring me joy. And so... I know you hear us talk all the time on Earn and Invest about money and how to make money and how to side hustle and how to invest. And I think that's all really important. But don't forget that the point of all this is that you can start spending your time doing what you want to do. And you know what? Maybe I'm going to start buying baseball cards again. Maybe I'll turn on that Cubs game. Maybe I'll go to the coin store. Those were some of the best times in my life. Why let go of all that just because I became an adult? Why not do those things that bring me the most joy? Awesome. I keep things running just for a few few minutes while we do the kind of post-show talking. Um, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you think was important about Nexus? Anything we didn't kind of bring out in the conversation? I think we were very thorough. And, you know, you you you, you ask or you, you, you mentioned you, you hope that the best shows at the end where people say that they have a ton of fun. I had a ton of fun. <laughs> good. Good. Yeah. Yeah, what's really clear talking to both of you is the passion for the product, right? Um, so I've talked to lots of people who've done startups. I've interviewed lots of people. And it becomes really clear when someone's interested in making money versus when someone's actually really passionate about what they're doing. Um, and you guys really sound and feel like the real deal in the sense that this is something that awesome. you've struggled with on your own in your personal life. Like, how do I make this better for me? And at least in my experience, those end up being the best creations, right? The one where the person was really kind of like, oh, this is my problem. I need to fix this. I, that's exactly how I think the, the product got started, which is why, why can't this be the case? Let's make it the case. So absolutely. Constantine, ever any negative pushback, ever any kind of negative interactions, or has anyone from the personal finance space said, hey, you can't do this, right? You're, you're risking people's savings. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think first we've got a pushback of like, this is impossible, right? Like, those are two different worlds, right? Um, 
So I think just combining them and showing that it's possible. And then, yeah, I think, you know, to be completely honest, I think there have been people who are like, look, you know, like, you're evil. You're, you're, you're making people, you know, ditch their FDIC insurance insured account and, you know, go over to investing. And I mean, I really want to drive home that, right? Like our intention is not to push you into like taking risks you shouldn't, right? I think our intention is right, like get you in a spot where you're taking risks that you're comfortable with, right? And be in a position where you can reap the rewards of them. Yeah. You know, I look at this a little bit like through my own personal lens. You know, I started in the financial independence retire earlier fire community and a lot of proponents of fire say, you know, when you get to a good financial place and you're really going to retire, they say you should really have a year or two worth of liquidity, right? And so that's an interesting thing because if you live a reasonably decent lifestyle and you talk about having a year or two sitting in a savings account, um, it's really getting eaten away by inflation fairly aggressively. So I could see someone saying, well, I want it liquid. And for that reason, I don't want to put it in the S&P 500. But then when you start talking about some of your more conservative investments, like like the treasuries, like, okay, 4.6%. I mean, that's an extra, that's an extra vacation every year, right? That's an extra really nice yeah. vacation. And that buys a bunch of first class tickets. I mean, you can start thinking about what that that extra money does. And it's not a huge leap to say, okay, maybe I don't feel yet comfortable putting that money in an S&P 500, but, but a treasury, yeah, like you said, they're just, it's a lot more stable. And at least, at least you're hopefully going to be beating inflation long-term or at least getting close to it. Yeah. I think yeah. we wanted to remove the conception around liquidity means zero value. It means yeah. cash sitting in bank deposits and there are tools and there are securities out there that are relatively lower risk, but still put your money to work and still yield returns for the people. And you you know that banks are participating in these securities as well. So when you talk about why this product matters so much to us, it's look like we as everyday people should be participating and earning returns and benefiting, benefiting from these securities. Awesome. Yeah. Also, I actually think a lot of this is historical, right? Like, you know, like 30 years ago or even 10 years ago, right? Like trading was like expensive, right? You paid like $10 for per trade or something, right? And it was hard, right? Like you had to manually do it, everything, right? And I think in a world like that, it actually makes a lot of sense to have securities that pay lots of dividends, right? So you kind of get cash in, Right. It makes sense to like keep cash sitting, you know, to like bulk get cash out. Right. I think in today's world where these transactions are so cheap, I actually think it makes a lot more sense to keep your money invested and just take out the things when you need them as you need them. I think you guys are actually providing one of the first good solutions to that that I've seen. So I feel like it didn't feel like that up until maybe now. Um, because of the seamlessness of the transaction. Um, and again, especially, and I think, so, you know, I, I don't know who your market is and what you do with marketing, but certainly there are a lot of people in this community who have lots of cash sitting around. I mean, we hear mm -hmm. it all the time and they yeah. just are befuddled by the idea that that cash isn't making anything, but they know that they're not ready to throw it in with the rest of their kind of 
you know, the rest of their brokerage account. So I think that really speaks to this group very well. And these are kind of savvy people who get it, right? So they're people who would maybe even feel more comfortable in that gray zone of invested but not invested type thing. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.